Sports Ethos New York Knicks podcast. Andre Galber. Knicks pull out this game against Toronto. It's a little hairy. A little hairy. All right. But no IQ and Mitchell Robinson is out for at least, at least two months. Almost at least two and a half months. Actually, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be way longer than that because he's going to be reevaluated in eight to ten weeks. So that means, that doesn't mean he's going to come back. This is, uh, this, eh, we talked about it last episode. It's pretty, it's pretty serious. It's pretty serious. Let's talk about the Raptor game. It's funny. I'm watching the game and I'm looking at RJ Barrett miss shots. And <laughs> I'm like, RJ's still struggling shooting the ball. But he hit a few in the second half. I believe it was the second half. And he, uh, and, uh, finished three of eight from three, which is, is not, in a, it's not terrible. Uh, his last few games, he's shooting 35% from three, which, again, is not terrible. It's a far cry from that 45% he was shooting to start the season. I need him in the high 30s. He's still struggling, if you ask me. I don't think the Knicks can survive him shooting 35% from three. It's too many shots that he's taking from three. And that's not gonna. That's not high enough for teams to start respecting him from three because that's what it's about. It's about him being respected from three. And if he's not going to be respected, it doesn't matter. So 35% is just not good enough because of his reputation on top of it. It's not good enough. So, but you look at his stat line, you can't you can't look at that 3 of 8 and complain. You can't look at that 11 of 21 and complain. You know, 50%, 27%, 27 points is a season high. Not a lot of assists. His assist numbers are down. It, it just seems like you're looking at, you're not looking at the RJ that came into the season. You're looking at, you know, the mean RJ. The R, the RJ who, this is average RJ. Average good RJ. Not average RJ over his career, but average good RJ. And you can't you can't be mad at, at the line he had last night. And it was a, a big contribution, a needed contribution against the Raptors winning the six-point game. Again, the Knicks give up 130 points. Uh, I I can't I can't I can't say anything more about the offense uh, and the defense is not the problem when they're giving up 130 points. They are clearly struggling now to get to the three point line. However, I will take credit and say that I told you that Knicks that that teams were starting to catch up to what the Knicks were doing and going into the games with ultra confidence that they're going to be open and shoot threes and they cannot hesitate. And the other thing that that teams are doing to the Knicks is they're running on the Knicks after made baskets, obviously off rebounds. They're running, running, running. Part of the Knicks transition defense problem coming into the game was Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle are both trotters getting back on defense. Uh, But Mitchell wasn't there last night. Can't blame him. There was a play last night where Julius Randle was clearly trotting back on defense, and he had no reason to. He was basically on the same plane as the ball, and there was a Toronto offensive player who was a couple steps in front of him, but not going towards the basket, kind of going towards the corner. And the Knicks and and Toronto scored, and it was like, if you're making excuses for Randle, you look at that play and you say, well, that's not his fault, it's not his man, blah, blah. But if you get back on defense and, you, and you're turned around in your defensive stance, uh, it's a deterrent going towards the basket if you're back, right? 
if you're everybody's trotting back and and the ball is the same plane as you, then they have no reason not to keep attacking. But not to pick on Julius Randle, but that is an issue in the Knicks transition defense, and the Knicks need to turn that around because teams are getting free baskets off of that. And this is a few games in a row now, and the Knicks haven't adjusted. That's a bad habit. You always hear me talking about process and habits. That's something that's costing them right now, and they've got to improve on that. And the fact that they haven't done it yet pisses me off. Well, let's talk about Julius, man. Julius, again, I told you in that Milwaukee game, his shot looked true. His process looked better. I complained about him and and how he attacked mismatches against Boston. Uh, I still think he gets maybe a little bit frantic in certain situations when he should really just kind of settle down. And you saw him do that against Toronto. He settled himself down. He played with the right patience, the right mix of patience and aggression. And he was seemingly unstoppable last night. And a lot of that was Toronto didn't think they needed to double team him. And you would think that Toronto wouldn't need to double team him. Scotty Barnes uh, and OG, you would think that they were good matchups for him. They had no answers for him. You know, he hit that jump shot on him a few times. But he, the jump shot that I like him taking is the one that's below the free throw line extended. That's what I like, right? I don't like fadeaway. I don't like the base. And let me be clear because you can you can send that out a little bit too far. I like below the free throw line extended, maybe a couple steps outside the paint. And I like it turning towards the basket, not away from the basket. I don't like that fadeaway. I don't like that fadeaway to his left shoulder on the baseline. I don't like it. Don't like it. Especially against good defense, against good defenders. I think it's a bad shot for him. All right. If you get closer to the basket, that's one thing. Closer to the basket, smaller defender, that's one thing. All right. I think it's a bad shot. Have you noticed, though, that Julius Randle has Patrick Ewing's shots? That baseline fadeaway, I didn't like it when Patrick Hewitt shot it. Right? But Patrick Hewitt would be on the right block and he would shoot that shoot that baseline fadeaway a lot. Right? So it's it's funny. He also has that little sweeping dip your dip your left shoulder into the paint, into the defender in the middle of the paint and fade backwards. You know, Patrick being a right-handed shooter, it looked different, but it's the same that that first move is the same. Turning towards the paint, dipping your shoulder into the defender, bringing the ball low and bringing the ball up into the arms of the defender and fading back. I actually loved that shot for Julius Randle, and I actually talked about that last year, how he didn't take that shot enough. Uh, Not last year, but the year before where he struggled, he didn't look for that shot enough. Baby jumpers in the middle of the lane for Julius, I think, is his his wheelhouse. We talked about... Uh, the other shots he should have, but he doesn't have. But that's that's the one shot that he does in the middle of the paint that I think is real good for him. But he played with so much aggression. Went to the basket. You didn't double team him. It, Toronto didn't double team him last night. That's part of the reason why Dante DiVincenzo didn't get more shots. Uh, Boston didn't double team him every time he had the ball either. And you've seen a few more. Milwaukee didn't double team him either. And you've seen him burn teams not doing it. And you gotta love that. You, know, you criticize Randall for a lot of things. I know I do, but you have to you have to love the fact that he's hurting teams, not double teaming him. 
and he's hurting teams that are doing that kind of zone to paint thing with him. He's hurting them. He's he's reading it better, and his shot looks truer. Uh, I, I wish he'd put some grip on his hand, some powder or something, because I don't understand why he can't dribble the ball cleanly, but whatever. What he's doing right now offensively is desperately needed from the Knicks because Jalen Brunson's not playing great. He didn't play terrible last night, but he's not playing great. He had five. He had seven turnovers in the game. And you know he's coming off a little bit of an injury, but he just doesn't look clean. You know, he doesn't look clean. He hit his threes last night, though, three or five. Can't can't knock him. Nine assists. So I saw people right in the middle of the, day, of the game complaining about how you don't pass the ball, but he had nine assists in the game. So that, I thought that was cute. You know, you saw Jericho Sims start in, instead of Hartenstein, something that that Tibbs has done before. You should have kind of seen it coming. Uh, Sims looked, uh, as you would expect, he looked a little nervous, a little spastic out there. Uh, seven rebounds, not bad, but no blocks, no steals. And as much as Toronto's in the paint, you expect to see blocks. Like I told you, he has he's poor shot blocking timing, and that's... Uh, that's a little bothersome. It's a little bothersome, to be honest with you. Hartenstein only had one block, two, to be fair. Uh, you saw DiVincenzo have uh, two shot games. There's another another game where he doesn't get any shots, and he's playing into the working theory that the shooting guard position is just a black hole in the next lineup right now. And my issue with that is with Quentin Grimes last year, Quentin Grimes was in the starting lineup. And he played better than he played this year. And it wasn't considered to be a black hole. So what's different this year? It's the same starting lineup. So what's different this year? Is the offensive philosophy that much different? I think most people who criticize Tibbs and most people who support Tibbs will tell you that the offensive philosophy is not that much different. Uh, You do see the ball in RJ, or you did see the ball in RJ's hands a lot more this year than you saw in the past. Uh, After injury, not quite as much. But uh, RJ not playing well right now. He's not necessarily seeing the floor. When he doesn't play well, he gets puts his head down a little bit too much. So there is some merit to the argument that it's a black hole in the lineup. But if you look back to last year, Quentin Grimes was in the same lineup, the same system. So what is the difference? And then you look at Dante. Dante started earlier in the season and played well. If you remember... He played so well that people wanted Dante to take Quentin's job. So now Dante's not getting any shots, and now it's the system again. But then Quentin Grimes comes up the bench, and he goes bonkers. He's 7 of 11, 5 of 7 from, from 3, plus 10 in the game. The highest plus minus in the game, Quentin Grimes. So what, the system, they don't have a system no more? The system different? <laughs> what's, what's so different in that second... Unit. So stop saying it's a system. All right. Now you could say that the starters, that that starting group, they just don't they don't move the ball enough. Say say that. But don't say it's the system when the same system is at play when he comes off the bench. Now I would say in this game, when teams don't double team Randall, you're not going to see Dante or Grimes get as many shots because Randall's the one who produces those shots. For the most part, you know, so and here's a game here. You look at the starting lineup. Brunson had nine assists. Randall had five. And DiVincenzo had five. So it's not like DiVincenzo wasn't touching the ball. 
And it's not like these guys weren't passing the ball. Right? But if you're not going to double-team Randall, Randall's going to shoot. <laughs> okay? And you know Brunson's going to shoot the ball too. The only way Dante's going to find the ball is if there's penetration, sucking in the defense, double teams, the ball gets spun around, and, da- and Dante's going to be the one guy who they're not going to leave open because they don't want to leave – they don't want to leave the best shooter out there open. So that's a factor as well. But is there some merit to the starters not being ball movers and that affecting the shooting guard position? Yes. But keep in mind that Dante started early in the season and had a couple very good games, uh, very good games early in the season, which which started the whole call for him to start. All right, so... Now you have a couple games here where he's not getting any any shots, and it's the system, or it's the players don't pass, right? So you can't have it both ways. You got to have, you can't be prisoner of the moment. Uh, But there is something to it, but maybe not quite as much as you're making. And then the whole idea of Quentin Grimes being punished and removed, being removed from the starting lineup. And then he's getting, he's on the bench and he's playing extremely well and ex- extremely aggressive. So if you think Tibbs punished him and you're criticizing Tibbs for punishing him for speaking out, Grimes is playing outstandingly coming off the bench. So are you going to give Tibbs credit? <laughs> you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. You can't criticize him for. You know, punishing Quentin Grimes, which is not what it was. And you can't criticize him for, he's not developing young players and his offensive system, blah, blah, blah. And then he puts Quentin Grimes on the bench and then he's outstanding. Like, you, you can't have it both ways. You're either going to give him credit or you're not. You can't just say that these things are happening uh, regardless of what Tibbs is doing or irrespective of what Tibbs is doing. You can't do that. Now, what Grimes is doing is not just because he's playing in the second unit. What Grimes is doing is also a result of Grimes having a change in attitude. Grimes having a change in attitude. Grimes having a change in in aggression, right? You can't tell me that you've watched Grimes all year and he looks the same these last two games as he did early in the year or when he was starting. He is different. Right, so let's talk about why the players in that second unit move the ball more. Yes, we'll come back to that. But you can't give me this chicken and the egg thing because if Quentin Grimes, Quentin Grimes is playing with the second unit before he didn't just play with the starters; he played with the second unit too and wasn't playing any better. Because remember, we looked at the numbers. Quentin Grimes was in the minus and plus minus, but all the starters were higher than him. So that meant. That when he went to the bench and he played with the bench guys, he wasn't any better. And you can just see that in production. He has games where he has two shots. He's not just playing with the starters. He's playing with the bench guys too. So his attitude also changed. And you have to notice that. You have to say it. And kudos to him. because he's And when you sit down with Tibbs and you're like, I'm not getting the ball enough. I can't find a rhythm. Blah, 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 blah. And you saw Monica McNutt say it in, in, uh, in the post game. She said, you know, yes, shooters need rhythm, but in professional basketball, yet shooters are not always going to be in rhythm and you still got to hit shots. That's reality. 
And we talked about that here on this show. Right? But Quentin in that second unit, or Quentin sat down with Tibbs, and Tibbs says, okay, or, or they agree. And I, I said from jump that I think they agreed to this. Okay, we're going to put you in a second unit, but you have to play different. Like, you have to play like you played before. You have to play basketball. And you saw Tibbs say that in the post game. He actually said those words. Like, you know, he's playing. He He's playing a game. Right? He wasn't really playing before. He was just kind of sitting around, standing around. And that's not what the offense calls for. You know, whether Dante's getting shots or he's not getting shots, it doesn't call for you just to be standing around. Now, you got to make reads out there. When the ball finds you, you got to make plays. And you see what Dante did, five assists. You didn't see Quentin Grimes getting no five assists. All right? So he was not playing. So in that conversation, Tibbs had to say, you got to play your game. Like, you got to do something. You got to actually play basketball, make reads. And we talked about that here on this show. So you got to be aggressive. You got to play the game when the ball finds you. Okay, you want me to help you? I'll help you. And you've seen more on-ball screens with Quentin. You saw some dribble handoffs, right? And another another part of this whole thing is Josh Hart is no quickly. So that means Josh Hart had a lot of the ball handling responsibilities in that with that second unit. Minutes that quickly would be playing and handling the ball, Hart was playing. I mean, McBride did play, obviously. But Hart had more playmaking responsibilities than usual in this game. And he always has some. And Hart found him. And he found other people. He found him. And Hart had an outstanding game last night. This is an outstanding game. And you guys sit around talking about Cam Reddish and Obi Toppin, knowing damn well that Cam Reddish and Obi Toppin are just getting in the way of guys like Dante and Josh Hart who are playing better than them right now. While y'all talking about them, you got guys on your team that replace them that are playing better. On on a night where Obi Toppin played 12 minutes in his game, and I don't hear y'all talking about him today, I don't hear no words about him, right? Josh Hart had an outstanding game. Outstanding game. Doing things that Obi Toppin wouldn't do. And again, I don't want to pick on Obi Toppin. But he had an outstanding game. All right? In 31 minutes, 6 of 8 from the field, 3 of 3 from 3. You know that Josh Hart is shooting over 37% from 3 now? 16 points, 8 assists, 7 rebounds. Like, come on now. A steal. Come on now. He took Jalen Brunson had 9 assists. He had 8. He took and one, with one turnover. He took the ball handling responsibilities, and you can see that he was finding, he probes looking for passes. It's such a departure from the starting lineup because they're not doing that, and I'm not putting that at any particular player. You know, Julius, he, he gets a lot of shots for a lot of people. But Josh Hart is probing for passes, and he's playing, he's such in a good rhythm right now. If you fall asleep on him, he's going to drive right to the basket on you. If you fall asleep on him in the mid-range, he'll pull up right at the free throw line and hit that shot. You leave him open from three, he's knocking it down now. So he's just reading the game, reading the game. And that's the type of things that Grimes needs to do. Guys who are struggling, getting into rhythm in his offense. <clears throat> Cam Reddish, <clears throat> Obi Toppin. You got to read the game. The offense isn't as bad. I have my complaints about it. It's not as bad and rigid as you 
most of you think it is. It's a read and react offense. When the ball finds you, you got to make a play. And Josh Hart is making that play, even though his responsibilities, he does have ball handling responsibilities that Quentin Grimes doesn't have and other guys may not have. But you can see him find looking for Quentin and finding him. You can see Hartenstein looking for Quentin and finding him. You saw a play that looked like it was just a read and react play, but it was. I watched it again. It wasn't. It was a set play. Hardenstein caught the ball at the, I think he was at the high post. I don't think he was, yeah, I think it was the high post. Quentin passed it to him, and it looked like he was going to set a screen right uh, right on the wing. It looked like he was going to set a screen for a guard. It was for fake. It wasn't a good one, <laughs> but it had to be quick because Hardenstein was throwing that pass in anticipation of him making that cut. Quentin Grimes hadn't even turned his head around, and the ball had met him there. And and Malachi Flynn, I believe, who was on that play, actually played good defense. And just couldn't do anything about it because the pass was perfect, and Grimes turned his head. The ball was there. He caught it, reacted, and hit the shot. That was a set play. Like that was that was not read and react. That was a set play. So you're seeing that there are actions now in that second unit that they're running for Quentin. So it. It's it's really a combination of Quentin, and you saw in the Boston game too. In the Boston game, you saw uh, some more on screen action stuff that I've been calling for. You saw another nice pass out of the screen from Quentin today or 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 yesterday, right? So he had to turn it up a notch, and you're seeing that you're seeing that. The Knicks responded by giving him more opportunities. And some of that might have been because quickly he's out, but it needs to be like this. I've said it before, and it's not a hundred percent. It's not an all, it's not an absolute. It's just that the Knicks don't need to run high and screen and roll every single time down the court. They need they have other they have players that can do other things. Or players that can do things off the screen that you need to utilize. I talked about Hartenstein last episode. I talked about his passing and how in the preseason you saw them utilize against passing more. You saw this. You saw that last night. They they actually ran a few plays where Hartenstein was a playmaker. They have to do that more. You have other options, and in the second unit, they're kind of forced to use them. And I say forced because they don't go out of their way to use them. When quickly comes back, you're going to see more of the high screen and roll stuff. You're still going to see a couple more Quentin Grimes plays, which is good. But Josh Hart needs to have the ball in his hands more. Quentin can play off ball. Like, he can play off ball, and he's probably more effective doing it. And then you can sprinkle in the high screen and roll with quickly. You don't have to just, every time, doing the same thing. But again, we talked about the offense, and they had 136 points on the board. 136 points. Nuts. But the problem is the Knicks are not going to shoot 59% from three. <laughs> okay, because we were talking about the Milwaukee Bucks shooting 60% from three, 60.5. The Knicks shot 59% from three. They just didn't hit as many as the Bucks hit in that game. The Knicks are not going to shoot like that every every game. And it, and it didn't seem like that they were all lights out, but Quentin Grimes hit five, five threes. And you saw him get hot out there. Quentin Grimes is a secret weapon in this team. The secret weapon. I want to go into that a little bit. I want to go into that uh, maybe uh, next episode. Uh, I'm going to finish this episode talking about Mitchell Robinson. And God bless Mitchell. You know, he's a saint of a guy. You saw the story. 
about him and his high school coach and, and his high school coach's wife and her passing away and him being very close with her and visiting her in the hospital and then inviting his high school coach to live with him here in New York. The high school coach lived in Louisiana. Give him credit. You know, very, you know, a guy lost his wife, very sad. He knew he was going to have a hard time, so he stepped up. You got to give him credit, Ken. You got to give him nothing but credit for that. And Mitchell Robinson, uh, as much as I tried to trade him before the season started in the early season, he, you know, a defensive player, uh, all all defense candidate this year, and probably if he kept it up, probably would have made it. Uh, so in the next big part of what the Knicks do, big part of their drop coverage and a lot of stuff. But I saw the stat in the broadcast about uh, the Knicks' record with and without Mitchell Robinson last year, and, and it really piqued my interest because it didn't feel like it was accurate. Because I told you I kind of had this working theory when it came to Mitchell Robinson and Hartenstein, and all of the numbers say different. Like the net rating numbers, Mitchell Robinson, net rating is off the charts. Uh, and again, this is not an anti-Mitch Robinson thing. It's not even a pro-Hartenstein thing. It's just... Uh, it's a pro-spacing thing, right? Now, Hartenstein started the season off very slow last year. So so slow that you got to give Randall credit. Randall Hartenstein said Randall called him up to give him a pep talk. So Hartenstein did not spend the whole season being effective. He, he, he grew in effectiveness as the season went on. So maybe his numbers are a little skewed by that, but I'm not going to make excuses. And I don't, I, again, I'm not trying to tear tear Mitchell Robinson down, but I just want to go over a few things because I knew that those excessive win totals with Mitchell Robinson were a little fugazi. So I went and looked it up. Now, there's a few watershed moments for the Knicks last year. One was, I think it was December 4th, when they changed the lineup. When they got Derrick Rose out of the lineup, and they got Fournier out of the lineup, and they started playing Quentin Grimes more. Quentin Grimes, he remember he came back from injury. He was, you know, very slow coming uh coming back from injury to start the season. There's a Cam Reddish factor in there too that I should look up. I'll have that ready for the next show. Cam Reddish was in the lineup as we talked about last episode. He started for a little while and he had a negative uh net rating uh as much as we talk about him now. But Quentin Grimes came in and Fournier got benched and Rose got benched and Quentin Quentin Grimes started playing more and Nick started winning right away when that happened. It was a change in the season right there. It saved Tibbs' job. They've they've written stories on how that changed Tibbs' job. Playing McBride was a big part of that, too. McBride was a huge part of that. Don't sleep. Their defense, McBride and Quentin Grimes and, and Quickly's defense, changed the series, the season around. And Knicks went on a win streak after that, a long one. I think it was eight games. Right? I get, I get off the top of my head, I get that win streak and the heart win streak confused because that was the other watershed shed moment for the Knicks when Josh Hart came to the team. Josh Hart came to the team. The Knicks went on a silly streak after that. Before that, the Knicks were kind of this kind of like, you know, cruising along, cruising along, cruising along. I shouldn't say cruising, just kind of digging, digging, digging. But when Hart arrived... The series, the season changed again. This season changed again. So that first win streak, I got it pulled up. It's one, two, three, four, eight game win streak. As soon as Quentin Grimes got in the lineup, 
with McBride to give him credit and quickly started getting more minutes. The Knicks record before that, and Mitch missed a stretch of games before that. He got injured. So I'm just counting the games that Mitchell played. Before that lineup change, the Knicks were 6-9. and nine. So in that frame of time, Hartenstein was still not playing well. He hadn't find his, found his rhythm yet. You know, he was missing whatever threes he was taking. They were letting him take it. He was missing them. He wasn't there yet. He wasn't playing defense the way the Knicks wanted him to. He was struggling. The Knicks were 6-9 and nine before that December lineup change. 6-9. and nine. Right? Once they made that lineup change with Mitchell Robinson, the Knicks were 15-8. and eight. So the difference in, in production wasn't Mitchell Robinson. It was Quentin Grimes, Quickly, and McBride being inserted into the lineups. I shouldn't say inserted. Grimes was insert, inserted. McBride was inserted. Quickly started getting more minutes. That's what turned the season around. That's what saved Tibbs' job. Before that, the Knicks were 6-9 and nine with, a, with Mitchell Robinson playing. In the lineup, losing record. Quentin Grimes gets in there. McBride gets in there. Quickly gets more minutes. Turns the, se- the season around. And they're 15-8 and eight after that change. So it wasn't so much Mitchell... It was Mitchell and those guys. When Josh Hart joined the Knicks, the Knicks were 17-7 and seven in the games that he played. 17-7. and 17-7. Seven. 17 and seven. Y'all be talking about Cam Reddish, Obi Top, and Knicks were losing with Cam Reddish in the lineup. 17-7 and seven when Hart joined. 17-7. and seven. Mitch, before Mark, I'm sorry, before Hart, his total... Win total was 21 and 17. Winning record to be sure. He's very important. Again, this is not a tear down Mitch thing. Very important to the Knicks success. But 21 and 17, not the inflated record you saw on the broadcast last night. And most of those games are with Mitchell Robinson, by the way. Mitchell Robinson came back like right around the time that uh, Josh Hart got traded. Uh, let me see. Josh Hart joined the team on February 11th, I believe it was. And, yeah, February 11th. And the Knicks won three in a row. And I think Mitchell came back after the All-Star break at February February 24th. You can double check. I, I'm not going to go through the notes again. Not a great note taker. I did write all of that down, I believe, accurately. Okay, so three of those games came without Mitchell Robinson. So just Josh Hart. And the Knicks won three in a row. All I'm saying is, this is a huge loss for Mitchell. It's a huge loss for the Knicks. But I don't think it should derail the season. I just don't. I'll be the first one to use it as an excuse if it does. (laughs) especially when you see a 130-point game already. But if the Knicks have a healthy Grimes, a healthy healthy quickly, and obviously Brunson and Randall, and I'll give you an asterisk on RJ, they can still win games. They can still win games. 
Heart is the biggest difference maker on this team. A, a, a functional heart is the is the guy that helps the Knicks win these games down the stretch. And of course you need Randall. Of course you need Brunson. Of course you need all these contributions. But what I'm trying to say is the Knicks fall short. And they last year, if we're using last year as the measure, they fall short on a lot of nights and play at around a 500 number. It's Josh Hart that gives them the boost. Because he's making all of those plays. He's, he's creating more offense in that second unit than was created before. If he's in rhythm and he's healthy... Josh Hart is the biggest difference between the Knicks being a fifth seed or a fourth seed or them playing in a play-in because that's what he was last year. It's not Mitchell Robinson, not as much as you think. But two months out of the lineup is a long time, and it puts a lot of stress on Jericho Sims and the minutes that Jericho Sims is out there while he's not really as as refined in his skill set, let's just say as Hartenstein would be backing up Mitch, right? So we'll see how it goes. But he does give them he does give them a dimension defensively in terms of switching and rotating that they didn't have before. But he doesn't give them any of their rim protection. That's why, to be very honest with you, the, if you look at, if you watch the Knicks and you say, well, Hartenstein should start and Sims off the bench, Look at that second unit and how the offense runs. Arnstein ha- has the ball in his hands more. He gets a chance to make plays, not as much as we like, but he gets to touch it more. That first unit, he might be his offensive prowess passing the ball and moving the ball. It might not be utilized as much. The second unit might benefit from him and his playmaking more than the first unit would. That's another reason why. Anyway, follow at Sports Ethos on Twitter at Ethos Knicks. Until next time.